As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me for this week's edition of In the Pocket. It's a long time NFL quarterback Chase Daniel. Chase, how you doing, man? What's going on, man? It's crazy. Crazy times in the National Football League. Um, week 18. Um, man, it, it seems like the season has been long, but not really. You know, we talked about this a little bit with like covering covering the teams. Um, it, it, it's a mental overload. I'm sure like you do like 15 shows. So, uh, your, your mind has to be fried right now. And it all comes down to this, right? Like week 18 and and I was doing another show, uh, earlier in the week or uh, last week. And I was, I was getting a head start on some of the scenarios in the AFC and the NFC. And I, in my 14 years of playing, quite honestly, like I, I don't know if there's been more crazier outcomes. You got some ties in there. You got some like things that you don't think could happen, probably could happen. You got people resting starters, which plays in a whole nother dynamic. You got games on Saturday, last game of the year is Buffalo, Miami. Like it, it, it's shaping up to be an excellent, an excellent week 18. Okay. I sort of believe that. Because there are some weird scenarios, but for the most part, the three to four spots that are left, we've got some stuff that's cut and dry. Houston Texan or Houston and Indy winner gets in. The Packers win, they're in. That's why those games are positioned the way that they are. The Steelers win and Buffalo loses, the Steelers are in. So for the most part, it's pretty clean. You were a part of, in my opinion, what the weirdest situation I can ever remember in week 18. And that if you guys had tied in week 18, you would have made the playoffs two years ago. So I understand there's some wonky ones here. That's the weirdest one that I can remember because there was that will they or won't they conversation the entire week about whether there would be some sort of mutually agreed upon decision <laughs> where you guys would tie and both make the playoffs. Oh, dude, that was wild. That was wild being on the sideline for that game and just in just like hearing the build up to it and like wait we can really tie oh that's not gonna happen we're not gonna tie. like and sure enough that's the fourth down game where herbert had like we had like eight fourth down conversions i think was which was like second most in NFL history might have been most in NFL history and 
it just like fourth and 21, like fourth and 16, no time left on a, on a corner bite route to Mike Williams in the end zone. And I'm just like, holy cow, like this is – and then it gets to 32-32, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Mike Williams hit the dagger out the back door. We kick a field goal in overtime to tie it with four minutes left. I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to just run the ball? And then, yeah, I mean, that was I, that was wild. Like, I, I don't even know how that tie played into it, but I do know that when we heard that, we were like, there's no way in hell it's going to end in a tie. I don't know why I was watching it this way, but I, we, I watch games in my basement typically because that's where I have the multiple TVs. But there are moments where my wife wants to work out on a Sunday night or she's trying to do something in the basement, so I give her her space and I'll watch upstairs in our living room. But that game, I was bouncing back and forth. So I just remember standing up for essentially the entire fourth quarter in overtime because I'm just pacing between the floors watching the game. And while I've done this show, this is season four, and this is the second year, I think, or third year that we've done it while I've lived in this house. It is certainly the most memorable football watching <laughs> experience that I have had since I've done this podcast and since I've lived in this home. Yeah. I mean, that was – man, that would have been sweet if we would have gotten the playoffs. But yeah, that was uh... – that was wild. Yeah, I mean, it is cut and dry, but what I love is, like, the AFC seeding is interesting to me, and there's really, like, three teams for the final-ish two spots or whatever, you know, because it could be Steelers, Colts, Texans. Uh, and then the NFC, there's one spot unspoken for, and there's five teams. And there's legitimately a chance that a Saints team, even if they lose – I say a legitimate chance, there's a chance – that if a, a Saints team that's sub 500 gets into the playoffs, like it doesn't, like you, it's like, wow. Like it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Isn't it, it crazy too? Like the schedule makers, like they hope and pray for this. Like a oh, primetime yeah. game on Saturday, that's a visual crowd. Primetime game on Sunday, game 272 or whatever it is. And then just like you play 17 games and it comes down to 60 minutes for, 11 teams in the NFC and nine and I mean, 20 teams. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm looking at the tankathon right now, the standings. There are 15 teams that are between seven and nine and nine and seven in the NFL right now. So just think about how many things can change, whether it's playoff positioning or positioning in the draft based on what happens this weekend. And that's exactly what teams want. We're going to talk a little bit about some playoff scenarios and maybe teams we want to see. Let's start with a team that has nothing to play for this week and is not playing their starting quarterback because they're resting him. And that is the Cleveland Browns and Joe Flacco, who are starting Jake Driscoll this week. We're not going to talk about Jake Jake Driscoll. Driscoll. Jake Driscoll starting for the Browns this week. When you have a superstar at quarterback – you can't risk injury in week 18. They've got to keep him on ice until we get to the wild card rounds. So the Browns have their seating locked up. They are the five seed in the AFC. They have nothing to play for, so they're sitting guys. But we have not talked since another crazy Joe Flacco game on Thursday night last week. So I wanted to dig into just how wild this feels right now. It has been a heck of a month. This guy goes from sitting on his couch, having no team in the NFL call him, to now being on the biggest run of any quarterback in the league over the last five weeks. He's thrown for 1,600 yards over the last five games. That is the most of any quarterback in that span. He's thrown 13 touchdowns over the last five games, which is the most of any quarterback over that span. We've got him making jokes in the locker room about if he had made a mistake in high school, he would have fathered one of his teammates, which this guy, he is operating at a no fucks left to give level that is really hard to compare anything to. So 
as we sit back and really take in the entire Joe Flacco experience here, how real do you think this is in terms of what he's doing and what sort of chance it gives the Browns? I mean, it's it's very real. <laughs> and then when you go back and watch the games out, now he has thrown for the most uh, yards, most touchdowns over the last five games, but he's got the most interceptions too. Yes. And you talk about don't give in anything – uh, like don't care in it, it reminds he reminds me a lot of the honey badger Ryan Fitzpatrick because when he was hot <laughs> like back in his Buffalo day like honey badger don't give a shit like he don't care and when Ryan Fitzpatrick was rolling back in the day like I'll tell you what like I wouldn't even care in the quarterback room who we're playing next like we will we would just hop on or put on a Ryan Fitzpatrick Buffalo Bills tape before we even started getting into anything. We would just like go through. We'd put on like we'd order it from like Where long were you at play this point? to short play. We were in New Orleans with Drew. Okay. And it was like it, we were just like, oh my we just kept like rewinding and be like, how did he fit that dagger into that window? Or how did he throw that post? <laughs> how in the world did he alert a field go versus cover two? How and he was rolling and and I say that because Dude, I put on the last two or three Joe Flacco games, and I've, I've watched them live too. But when you rewatch it, it's so similar to the feeling that I had with the uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Honey I Badger love that. because it's it it, it, it is real. It, it's like it is real. But the dude is throwing it like I would say like a quarter of his throws, in my opinion. Like, why are you throwing that? It should be intercepted. Oh, huge play. You know, so he does have that, and he's gotten a little bit better. He threw the uh, pick six on the screen, which I, I don't really – but he's got the most. I think he's got eight interceptions the last five games. So he threw the pick six on the screen. You could excuse that. There were three more balls he threw in the first half that should have been intercepted and weren't. The even, one to Njoku. The one to Njoku. That, that, I'm not even talking about that one. The, my favorite throw he had in that game in the first half, they do a play action. He boots out real slow to the left because that's what it looks like now. And that's what they're doing. They're just using a ton of play action and just letting him go bombs away. So he rolls out and he throws a crosser to Njoku that goes right through. I think it was Quincy Williams' hands on, on this crosser. Even those plays, the spectacular plays, there's a little bit of danger to them right now when you're watching him. But I think... At the end, if you take all of it in totality, this still gives them their best shot offensively because there's nothing that they can rely on right now. And and that's why – because in at first glance, it's like, okay, they have explosives. If they can create explosives on offense or create explosives on defense, that feels like a good recipe. Other situations where you have a great elite defense, you'd say, okay, if we have an elite defense and we can run the ball consistently, that's our recipe. They can't run the ball consistently right now, which is a weird thing to say about the Browns, but the injuries they've had at tackle and losing Nick Chubb, this team has a higher percentage of negative runs than any other team in the NFL over the last two months, and they are one of the least efficient running teams in the NFL over the last two months. So you take that, and then you consider the explosive element that Flacco gives you. He has 27 completions of 20-plus yards over the last five games, which is the most in the league. The other Browns quarterbacks this year and their 11 games combined for 24. So he has three more 20-yard completions in five games than all their other quarterbacks had combined in twice as many. So when you take all of that and you consider the entire picture of what they are, I do think that this living on the edge style that they've leaned into is the correct way for them to put the best product on the field in the playoffs. There's no doubt. And 
you know, their defense has been really, really good at some points and really, really bad at other points. And their defense really hasn't traveled on the road. And, and the reason I'm saying about this is because when you look forward to the playoffs, right, like you want a really good defense that can travel on the road and you want a good run game. And it, it, it I didn't know how many negative runs, like like the stat you were saying, but it just sure seemed to me the last couple games, I'm like, man, they're in second and eleven. Like they're in second and fifteen, like and he's just in shotgun chucking it. Like deep and I, I think this is like this reminds me of like I feel like this is what opposite the run game, not having Nick Chubb really hurts. This is the offense that Kevin Sapiansi wants to run, man. Like this under center, heavy play action, bootleg, twenty-two personnel, thirteen personnel. It reminds me of like stuff I saw back in his early days and when you bring Joe Flacco in, I mean, the dude's got a cannon, okay, first and foremost. Like, he can stretch the field vertically, and it doesn't seem like he's taking a bunch of sacks, um, but he sure looks slow out there. Like He's, he's moving making off-schedule plays, though. He's making That's another schedule. part like, of the, this the where I wonder when yeah. it's going to come back down to earth because he's making off-schedule, out-of-structure, extended plays. I don't think – you can argue – that the, the explosive arm and the big plays and all of that will continue because the guy does have a cannon. It's the out, it's the off schedule stuff where he's creating out of structure. That stuff is not going to continue. Eventually, you're not going to get those breaks, and I wonder and worry what they're going to look like when they stop getting them. Well, I mean, the play the play of the game this past Thursday was when he got freaking elbowed and hit in the chin, like in the face mask, spins out of it. First of all, I'm like, how did Joe Flacco stay up on that? Goes to his left, finds it gets Jerome Ford in the flat in an off schedule play, and he has a touchdown. And Joe Flacco's like talking crap to the other sideline. Like I watched from the back, and I'm like, Joe really looked back and gave him a stare. Like the dude is, and that's what's that's honestly like Revenge what can game, be really man. scary. He's got to take yeah. it to the Jets. That 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 that's what can be really scary at playoff time when you've got a confident quarterback and um, that can just sling it around the yard. Like that, like I, I just think like we've talked about it. You know how I feel about it. Like like when Aaron Rodgers got hurt for the Jets, my first thought and a lot of other people's thoughts around the league was just, oh, Joe Flacco, he played with you guys last year. I know it's a different offensive scheme. I, I got it. But man, how dumb do the Jets look right now? Yeah. Like truly, because and we've said it, and there's some other issues. I get it in 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 New York. But you're one quarterback away, potentially, of what you wanted to do this year, and that's make a playoffs, make a run. Instead, you're you're, you're playing Trevor Simeon, you're playing Zach, like all these guys, and really, in the year of the backup, it's Joe Flacco and Gardner Minshew are the two that really stand out the most that have done enough for their teams. And Joe Joe is, I mean, he wasn't talked about. He's on his couch. Like I don't quite think you understand. And it's not like it's not like he was probably in the gym every single day working out, working on his arm strength, working in his drops at the, at the, high I don't know, school man. Field. he looks pretty good. He might've been, I don't, that's the thing. I, I just don't, I just don't know if that's it, but he's like, obviously he wanted to, to play and, and it, like that just brings into doubt and not into doubt, but brings uh, into effect. Like he's played himself into another job next year somewhere. He has to. Watching that offense right now, it really does feel like everything's coming together in a way that makes sense because they're playing with two backup tackles. How do you protect tackles in the passing game? 
ships, heavy personnel, more bodies in protection. So that alignment of him just being able to rip these shots off play action actually contributes to them protecting better with their current personnel. And watching them try to solve this problem with the offensive line has been interesting. If you look at some of the run game stuff they're trying out right now, they're trying to take things off of the tackles. They're running a lot of draws. So you're running the defensive ends up field. They're doing a lot of heavy jumbo formations where the starting tackle is now the third man inside. So you're asking him to not make the block at the point of attack. It's smart football. Eventually, you can only do so much when you're limited at those spots. But I think a lot of different aspects of what their offense is right now makes sense given the personnel. But the thing that's really making it go is he's willing to take shots and attempt throws that very few quarterbacks would even try. I was talking to someone from there last week and pointed out a couple examples specifically from that game. The stick nod he threw and then the crosser to Njoku Those are throws that they might not even have attempted with a different quarterback. And I think that willingness to push the ball in those specific situations has given them a level that they didn't have with anyone else and I think makes them the most dangerous version of themselves. Well, I think so too. I'm glad you brought that up because I have noticed like it it, it is, in my opinion, now I know there's some candidates out there for coach of the year, but to me, this makes it feel like what Stefanski has done from a coaching perspective, like he should be right in the thick of the coach of the year. Like, oh, 100%. Like, like, He's like, the favorite like, right now, and I think justifiably yeah. so. And and that's not being talked enough uh, talked about enough because a lot of teams that have gone to their third, fourth quarterback have not even remote – I mean, th- are they 11-5 and five right now as a five yeah. seed? I mean, 11-5 and five in a, any other year would potentially going into um, – you know, the 17 game of the year might be two seed, but you got the Ravens, obviously. So your second division, you're not, you know, but it's, it's a, uh, it's just such a good job of coaching. Their offense makes sense, the way they protect, the way they throw. And the fact that Flacco, this is another point that needs to be made is like Flacco was sitting on the couch, right? Like he didn't really have a bunch of reps in this Stefanski offense. It's very wordy run game checks, Mm-hmm. personnel, how they call motions, for him to come out and just be able to do it like after two weeks learning it, really a week and a half learning it, like that needs to be talked about too because as a quarterback, you have to obviously spit the play out, but you also have to make sure that players know what to do if they ask in the huddle. And there will be some asking in that offense because it's crazy. Like you got to know your stuff. And so you you got guys that have been there all at training camp they're asking a guy that got there a week and a half ago, and they're still running the most efficient offense that I've seen them run in the past couple of years. And he's the quarterback that has done it. It hasn't been to Sean Watson. The Coach of the Year conversation is a fascinating one. We're going to do an award show, me and Nate, next week. I am not looking forward to the Coach of the Year decision. I've, I've probably had five different answers to that question over the last week, so I'm dreading having to actually land on one. I'm leaning toward maybe hedging and just giving it to co-coaches, even though that's a cowardly move, and I know I shouldn't do that. The question moving forward with Joe Flacco, if you're the Browns, should you bring him back as a backup next year? And beyond should you, can you? When you consider the dynamics with the way that he's played, the way the town has taken to him, the way the locker room has clearly taken to him, and the fact that you have given up everything that you have for Deshaun Watson, as somebody who's been in those rooms, how would you handle this moving forward if you were the Browns? I think you'd be so dumb if you didn't re-sign him. 
Like, like in, in a year in, in a year where fourteen or fifteen backups have played, like you're one snap away from having to trust Joe Flacco next year, and that's got to be a good feeling for Stefanski to have a guy who is like like you couldn't have two more opposites. And I feel like at this point in Joe Flacco's career, he'd be okay because he would be the backup if they brought him back. Like like they 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 gave Deshaun Watson the bank plus more. Like he's going to be the starter next year there at least at the beginning of the year. Um, and then you bring in a guy like Joe Flacco, who is probably at this point in his career just wanting to win, wanting to help out, like wanting to be a part of the brotherhood, the locker room. Like I think it could absolutely work, and I think it's it's a good it's a good way because look, he's going to have a market. Like it, it's just especially after this year and how many backup quarterbacks have played and how many backup quarterbacks have sort of crapped the bed a little bit other than like Minshew, Jake Browning, which, you know, he, he's not even getting the Bengals to the playoffs, but it's going to be an interesting conversation. And I think, I think you absolutely should. I think you absolutely can. It's not like, you know, Flacco's going to cost you 10 million. I mean, he's sitting on the couch. He, he, he said today, he's like, he's like, honestly, like, I don't even know if I've gotten paid yet. Like, I don't even care. Like that just tells me one, he's got a ton of money. I got, I get it. Yeah, got a ton of money. Okay, I get it. But, but, but like you're still taking time away from family, you're still taking time away from stuff that you love to go play. Like it just tells me a guy at this point in his career that loves the game. The money helps. Uh, okay, he's got a ton of it. He doesn't need any more. But he's just loving playing the game. Like he's become a little kid again, and I love it. I love seeing it, man. It's a great story. How much money do you think Joe Flacco's made playing football? How many years did he play? Sixteen years. What was his draft year? Oh, 2008. 2008. Very memorable so, year. Yep. Um, he's probably made $215 million. That's high, but it is $175 million, which That's is not that high. It's, it's not too bad. $175 yeah. million. Good for Pretty Joe good. Flacco. Again, this is literally house money that he's playing with right now. Money he does not need. He's just having a good time. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere for their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Let's stick with some somewhat sticky quarterback situations in the AFC North here. The Steelers are going to continue to ride with Mason Rudolph, even with Kenny Pickett coming back relatively, let's say healthy enough. Kenny He's Pickett healthy. is healthy enough healthy to enough. play, and they are rolling with Mason Rudolph. Pickett will be the backup in Pittsburgh. Pickett came out this week, said, I did not refuse to be the backup last week. That's it was misreported. There's a lot of that weird things happening story right line. there. Right? Yeah, so there's just that- a lot of stuff bouncing around there right now. And based on the results, I understand Mike Tomlin going this direction. You put up 30 points in back-to-back weeks. They hadn't scored 30 in a game since week 11 of last year before they did it over the last two weeks. It helps – to play two defenses that are reeling right now in the Bengals and the Seahawks. Two defenses where the bottom has fallen out here over the last few weeks. Both of them are bottom six in weighted defensive DVOA right now. But if you're the Steelers and you've made this move, what do you think this says not only about the present, but about Kenny Pickett's future there and about who might be playing quarterback for the Steelers next season? Man, that's a deep question, man. It, because, you know, at one when, when when you sent this this rundown, and I was thinking about it and how I wanted to respond to this, I, I wanted to make sure that it was thought out. And, and I just came back to there's two there's two scenarios. One, like it's just Tomlin, who for 17 straight seasons has yet to have a losing season, which is the best stat of all time. I don't care what you say, not one losing season. Okay, so the dude. Obviously, like one of the best coaches in the league. It's just him going with a hot hand. Like that that's one way of thinking about it. Because it is. I mean, the fact that they've scored more than they've averaged over 30 points a game in the last two weeks. I don't care about your DVOA weight, all that crap. And I I, I like it. I like it because you still gotta it's do me, it. It's merely context. It's merely gotta, context, yeah. but the results have been there, and I think that is what is important to Mike Tomlin. And, and I do think that it's I do think that there's something to be said about like how confident he's playing. So you put up 30, you're averaging 30 points a game. Like that's what you want as a quarterback in this league. You want confidence. You want command. You want the dude's been inactive for 14 weeks, meaning like, like him and Trubisky are, he's getting four to five scout team reps a week because Trubisky is getting most of them because he was the backup. So, like, it makes it even more impressive. People don't understand quite that, like, oh, yeah, he's been working on his – yeah, he's been working on his craft, but he's been in street clothes, bro, for 14 weeks, okay? In these last two weeks, he said, you know what, yeah, you know, you were the backup when Trubisky was a starter. Trubisky, yeah, not enough. Let's just give Mason a chance and talk about an opportunity and seizing it, not only for this year, for next year, but, like, it just finally makes sense because the Steelers, we've always – had the conversation about the Steelers being their defense is is great. Their defense is like they can win with their defense. It's always been that whole home offense. They hadn't for fifty six or fifty seven straight games. They didn't have four hundred yards of offense. Now you're telling me they scored thirty in back to back weeks for the first time since week eleven of last year. Like it, it just sort of galvanizes the team when in a scenario of Pittsburgh making the playoffs is very, I mean, it could happen. It's very, it's likely. I wouldn't say very likely. It's likely that could happen. It's and not you hard. Win. All they need is they need to win and they need the bills to lose or the Jets and they're the in. Jacks. That's it. And the bills very well could, I mean, they're in and then they become sort of a scary team of Mason can do this. So 
Um, I, and then the other way of thinking is like with the, getting back way back, I, I digress to the question you asked. The other th- way of thinking about Kenny Pickett is like, man, his time is done. Cause I went down that path too. I'm like, Oh man, like you're healthy. Like they say people can't lose a job based on injury. Like, and then this comes out and, and I, I'm not saying it's true or not true. And Kenny of course is going to say it's not true. And I, I don't know. We don't know. For fact, what happened? Because I'm sure he was pissed. I'm sure he was pissed off that he lost his job. I'd be pissed off too. But no, like it's my team because, and I will say, when their their offensive coordinator got fired, those were two of Kenny's best games of his career. Let's just let's just make that a statement as well. He got hurt. I get it. But isn't it just a fascinating story? Like, not only is it the year of the backup, it's the year of like the third and fourth stringers. That are that's why this is different teams. to me. This is different than oh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with Nick Mullins over Jaron Hall or Jaron Hall. That, that's that's it's different when you have a guy that you drafted in the first round a year ago and you're keeping him on the bench for a third string quarterback who was on the roster when you used a first round pick on this guy. Mike Tomlin has famously. The way he treats his players, it's very much what have you done for me lately. He's very blunt with guys during film sessions. You know, he'll be pointing out stars making mistakes. This is on this isn't how we do things. Da 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 da. He's very transparent about all this, but with quarterbacks, it's different. You know this. So this isn't about, eh, you know what, you've had a rough stretch. You're our starting three technique. We're gonna have somebody push you here. The optics when you're doing it with a quarterback. It's just an entirely different consideration, and I wonder if this signals we're done with the Kenny Pickett era in Pittsburgh, if that's too harsh, but if it's not, if that really is what we're talking about here, what's going to happen at quarterback for the Steelers next year if it's not Kenny Pickett? Yeah, I mean, the quarterback, they need to be in the quarterback market, in my opinion. Like, like, it, it, like Tomlin, Tomlin worded it in such a Tomlin way when he was like low-key said, yeah, you know, we're just going to ride with uh, – we're going to ride with – Rudolph or whatever. Yeah, like, it was like, like it's no big deal. Totally. And I'm yeah. like, hold on. Like, like it almost like entranced me to be like, oh, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You oh, just, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that makes sense. He's playing yeah. well. He should keep playing. And I'm, and I'm he like, has such a way like, of doing that though, where he'll yes. he'll say something that's such a huge deal, and he'll couch it in this casual attitude where you think, oh yeah, that, okay, I get that. I get why you would do that. It totally. And so like that to me was, I thought was just like hilarious, but like make no mistake about it. Right. Dude. Like the, like Pickett is healthy enough. Pickett got benched. That that's what it is. Like Pickett is sent to the bench and for a guy who was a third string that has been a hit or miss. And yeah, you're going with the hot hand. Yeah. It's Tomlin saying, what have you done for me lately? But you drafted this guy in the first round less than two years ago and it just hasn't worked out. And I, and I, and and part of me being a quarterback and loving on all quarterbacks and hating when any quarterback plays bad, like I would have loved to see Pickett sort of keep the momentum going and not get hurt because I thought he was playing pretty well. Um, but it's always been that thing like, hey, Kenny, we're just going to stick around to the fourth quarter. And then especially last year, remember the last like six, seven, eight games of the year, it was all fourth quarter comebacks. It was all like just balling out in the fourth quarter. I'm like, where are those first three quarters? And it just hadn't shown. And it, may, it makes complete sense. I mean, could you imagine? And this is why I'm bringing it up. Maybe you can't imagine because you never, like I'm talking not to you, but to, to people that are watching the show. But you probably can't imagine because you guys have never been in locker rooms. Could you imagine 
that locker room, if after what Mason Rudolph have, has done the last two games, which has played really well, to go into that locker room and say, all right, Kenny Pickett, you're going back to starting and benching. And, but and we're how much Mason- leeway does the starting quarterback get in those moments? If it if it were a guy who was job security, okay, let's let's put another quarterback in here. Let's, for example, Jake Browning has the two games that Jake Browning had, but Joe Burrow could come back and play. You're not it's saying totally that about different. Joe Burrow, no, no, and that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting to. That's the point I'm trying to make. Is like that locker room would go berserk because they they I think they know that Kenny maybe isn't that guy or hasn't done enough to it. And yeah, you know, you're going to stick behind your backup or sorry, your starter in Kenny Pickett, but the way Rudolph's going, like there's going to be some rumblings. And, and so I think he made the, the right decision on many facets, like not just from a pomp and circumstance, like media, cause he's really good at talking to media, but like in the locker room, like you, you gotta, you gotta ride with Mason Rudolph, man. Like it just, it makes a lot of sense. I'm fascinated by what they're going to do with quarterback next year. If they move on from Pickett, because they can free Justin up the Fields. Decent amount of space. I mean, Justin Fields, I think, does make sense for them specifically. That That's one where I would absolutely make the call because they can free up a decent amount of financial wiggle room if they move on from Trubisky, Patrick Peterson, Allen Robinson, some of these stopgap guys Older that they brought guys, in yeah. that, yeah, guys in their 30s that, that don't have a lot of dead money left on those contracts. They do that and they borrow from the bank of TJ Watt. He's a $21 million base salary and they just convert that. They can be at $25 million in cap space very quickly. So if they wanted to potentially be in on a Kirk Cousins conversation or another expensive veteran that would give them an immediate option, that does seem like it's within the realm of possibility. But I also think that the combination price and theoretical upside you get by chasing a guy like 24-year-old Justin Fields is maybe a better potential outcome, not only for the present, but the future. And I think that's something that Omar Khan's only in year two of this, right? So you have an aging core with Cam Hayward and some of these other players. But at the same time, I think that trying to keep one foot in the present and one foot in the future may be the best move for them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is It is going to be such an interesting offseason. Just, not, I mean, not only for the Steelers at quarterback, but just so many teams it feels like this year, like 14, 12, to 14 teams could be in the market and will be in the market for a quarterback, whether draft or free agency or trade. And just, there's just not a lot of good quarterbacks to go around. Right. Yeah. So teams are going to have to overpay for people and, and maybe whether it's a draft pick in a trade or whether it's a salary in free agency, uh, if you want the, if you want the best. So I mean, we, we, we don't need to talk about that because we did a whole hour episode last week on that. Well, that's what I like about this, what I like about this as a landing spot for fields or really any quarterback. And I think what one of the arguments for Mason Rudolph is, Mason Rudolph has played just well enough for you to get glimpses of what the playmakers are. They have spent on pass catchers. They have used real resources to build this core of Johnson, Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, and now you're seeing what those guys are capable of when given the correct amount of opportunities. So if you are a Justin Fields or somebody else dropped into this situation, it's not like you'd have nothing to work with. Even though the offense has been DOA for stretches of the season, there are some kernels and some flashes of talent that I think could get you pretty excited about what this could look like with the right quarterback and the right new play caller next year. Yeah, it's a young it's a young offensive core for the most part. I mean, those two receivers, I mean, you know, say what you want about Pickens and you know, all this off fields, the dude, can, he, the dude, can he's play. an adventure, man. And Tomlin said something during the game. I saw a clip of it this morning when I was watching some NFL films type stuff. 
And he said, he makes the freaky shit look casual. And he said that to Pickens as he was walking off. And you could see in that moment the bargain that Mike Tomlin has made with himself with, with George Pickens. It's like, I, I know what I have done. I know the life I've entered with this guy. And if you have a quarterback who can give you more of those freaky plays routinely, you're willing to live with some of the bullshit. And I think that that's what you've seen over the last couple games specifically. Steelers need some help locking up that final wildcard spot in the AFC. They need the Bills to lose or the Jags to lose. Over in the NFC, that last wildcard spot will likely come down to the Seahawks or the Packers. I have a simple question for you as we think about those two teams potentially getting to the playoffs. Purely as a football fan, would you rather watch Jordan Love or Geno Smith in the postseason? Uh, purely as a football fan, it's easy for me. It's Jordan Love. Okay, Jordan why? Love. Um, and I know you like Gino, so I got to make sure. Oh, my, we're, oh, my, we're, uh, oh, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. I, I got to make sure that my uh, response is is worthy. So, so, so for me, with Jordan Love, um, it's just come down to the growth of him throughout the season. A lot of people, including well known within within NFL circles, without NFL circles, just thought like, hey, like we're losing Aaron Rodgers. We're super young team like uh, my I don't know uh, youngest or second youngest team offensive playmakers like none Chris Watson's always hurt no one knew what Jaden Reed was going to be no they lose their starting tight end the running back position solidified you know you lose your tackle like all these things happen and if you could tell me and you would tell LaFleur that their season hinges on a week 18 game win and in they'd be ecstatic ecstatic bro and it was Jordan Love has been like a little bit of a roller coaster season right like the first three games of the year were well then there was like a little slump where they were three and six I think or something like that then then two or three really good ones and like two bad ones in the last four you it's it's really been um uh he's shown a lot of growth and I I just love I love player comparisons right like I love going back in history and looking at what other quarterbacks have done there. And you look at Aaron Rodgers, first season as a starter. He was 6-10. and 10. He averaged 252 yards a game, 28-13 to 13 touchdown to interception ratio, a passer rating of 98.3. Look at Jordan Love, 8-8. Eight eight. He's averaging 240 yards a game, 12 yards less than Aaron Rodgers. He has a much better, not much better, he's a better touchdown-interception ratio, 30 touchdowns, only 11 picks, and he's got the identical passer rating as Aaron Rodgers. And I just think that it's, like, in today's society, and rightfully so, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, but people don't let players, especially the hardest position in all sport, have time to themselves to actually like learn, go through some bumps, go through some bruises, and let them develop. And I think what Jordan's love has shown easily over these past 16 games, regardless of what happens in their game against Chicago, which I think Chicago, it's not an easy test the way they're playing. It's going to be a Let's real just, game, man. I'm actually very excited about game. 
that yeah. offense against the Bears defense specifically, it's a matchup we're going to break down in our preview show this week. That is one hell of a matchup. I am pumped to watch that thing. I, I agree. I agree. I, I didn't think I'd be as pumped to watch this as, as I was maybe 10 weeks ago. Um, but, but just the way that Jordan has played and what he has shown with the lack of skill, skilled offensive playmakers to me, that's why I enjoy Jordan Love playing because I love the growth that he's seen. Talk about a few more stats here. Jordan Love is fifth in EPA per dropback this season. Fifth among all quarterbacks in the league. The four guys ahead of him are Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Tua Tagovailoa, Josh Allen. Again, all necessary caveats. That is a team passing health stat. But we're talking about a team with all these young pass catchers and a running game that has been uneven at best this year. It's been better with Aaron Jones back in the lineup. But if you look at some other numbers, they are fifth in passing DVOA this season. Fifth. They have a top five passing game. I thought the Packers would be a borderline playoff team. I picked them to make the playoffs. I thought they would be a wild card team. I thought they'd be a wild card team because they ran the ball well. Jordan Love did enough. They had a solid defense. It's been the exact opposite of that. The defense has been trash again, and they have asked their passing game to carry them to this moment. And the fact that he's been able to do that with how young this group is, I think says two things. One, Matt LaFleur is a dude. That guy, I would bet my future as a franchise on that guy, and I think they justifiably have in Green Bay. Two, he has given them more than I think you even could have hoped from a production standpoint. I know it's been a little volatile. He can spray some throws. They've had a little bit of luck in some of the 50-50 balls they've thrown over the last couple weeks, but the process has been really good. And the arrow is pointed up so, so far, and he's exciting. When you combine all of those things, it's hard to argue with what they look like right now, and even the tangible growth from the second Minnesota game from the first Minnesota game, and what they looked like. It's so, so encouraging. I would probably lean Jordan Love, or Jordan Love as my answer to this question, but I don't want to dismiss Gino in this conversation, because going back and watching that Steelers game again this morning, that guy is playing out of his mind in some of these moments. What he is doing under pressure and some of the plays he's been asked to make under pressure, in that game, he was pressuring over 50% of his dropbacks. This season, I think he's fourth from the bottom in pressure to sack rate in the NFL, despite all the injuries. I was saying, it it looked bad the last two games. Like, it's just like no time to throw. He has no time to throw in pure dropback situations. The only time that he's had time is on early downs when they're using play action and they're using heavy personnel, similar to the conversation we had about the Browns. When he's asked to just drop back, he's running for his life back there, and he's been able to do it. He's been able to stay afloat despite all of that, and that's an area of his game that you wouldn't necessarily have pointed to as a strength over the last couple years. So I just think that his ability to make some of these plays out of structure, to navigate the pocket, and some of the splash throws that we've seen from him last week, but really over the last couple games. Go back and watch that Dallas game again and some of the throws that he's making in that Dallas game. I think right now the Packers offense is more dangerous because of their play caller and some of the other elements of who they are. But I think that on a pure entertainment level, Gino is still able to give you a show 
against some of these other playoff teams. So I think even if Jordan Love is the answer, Gino deserves mention right alongside him. If either of them will get in, I think they could make for a very entertaining wildcard game no matter who they play against. Because the defenses are so bad that we might get a shootout in either one of these. You, I mean, you, you will get a shootout I yeah. mean, if those teams get in. You're going to have, I mean, you have to. They have to be overly aggressive. Yeah, when I went back and I, I watched the last two Gino games, um, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm like, why is he like I'm I'm hitting play and I'm hitting pause when his foot hits and it, you know there people are one yard away. I'm like, what in the world? Like, are they just that bad? Or like, it's just it's hard to understand. But it, it seems to me also because the Seahawks defense has been bad. Not it seems to me because they have been bad. They've been playing from behind, so there's had to be more drop back. They haven't controlled games with the run game or the under center play action to where that's where sort of their bread and butter is. So he's had to be in these dropback scenarios, and he's had to make these plays. And when we talked about this pre-show, and I said Jordan Love, and you know, you you said you were going to Geno Smith. Like I, I agree with it. The only thing that I would say the reason, and, and you were leaning Jordan Love, so I get it, is why I lean Jordan Love is because Geno does have two amazing playmakers, like like DK Metcalf. And um, what's his face? The fa- uh, Tyler Lockett. Uh, Tyler Lockett. Sorry, I just literally just blanked. My kids are screaming upstairs. Um, th- like he has those two guys. Those two guys are still dudes. Like top six duo in the league for me. And so I think it's, I think it's the trust that Gino has shown in them to be able to fire off these. Because I'm looking at some of these throws in the last two games, and the amount of like times he's thrown with anticipation. And the accuracy that he's that he's thrown, like it's been, like I'm like looking at like, oh no, not don't do this, like not this, like you know, it's it's really impressive. It's hard to do because the a lot of placement people, is insane. He's like he's been a ball placement king the entire always, year. Some of always. these throws he's fitting in are ridiculously impressive. And I'm with you to an extent on the receivers. I I'm curious. I want after we do this, I'm curious about your big picture thoughts about the Seattle offense in general and the passing game. But this year specifically, I think that the offense, with the way that they play, it's a lot of ISO outside the numbers type stuff with these guys, especially with DK. And even though he's built like that, that's not what his game is. So DK Metcalf this year has 28 contested targets. That is the sixth highest number in the entire league. He only has nine contested catches. Of the 96 receivers that have played 20% of their team snaps, he is 75th in contested catch percentage among 96 guys. Tyler Lockett is 67th. And this style that they're playing, and there was a stat somebody put out today, I think it was Anthony Treesh from PFF, uh, about the width of formations in the NFL. And if you look at a lot of the best offenses in the league, LA, the Dolphins, the Niners, the Texans to an extent, it's a lot of condensed formations where you can use all of the field. The Seahawks play with the widest formations in the league, and they're asking their guys to do a lot of work one-on-one outside the numbers as a result of that, and I don't know if these guys specifically are necessarily built to play that way when you're making them make these tough catches. So even if the talent is there, I have questions about the deployment and what the overall structure of the passing game looks like right now. Yeah, I don't know how you feel after watching them. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's a good stat. I didn't even – I mean – I didn't even think about it because I just I was watching just really him throwing, but that makes sense because there were a lot of like spread two by two three by ones. But I just go back to 
I guess there's other teams that are playing like that, but I go back to like they're playing from behind a lot. So it's like a lot of times they're running their two minute offense to get back into games, and those are a lot of two by two, three by one formations. But that's a good that's a good stat. Um, I'd yeah, like to look I, at I, it a little I, bit more, and I, and I don't know if this is something that's just native to who the Seahawks are. Because when Russ was there, they did a lot of that outside the numbers pushing the ball. I don't know if that's the style of offense Pete Carroll wants to play. There's something there that I would like to look at a little bit more just because it feels like the offense requires some of these splash eye-popping throws a little bit more often than is necessary when you consider the talent that they have. So this is something that we're going to talk about this offseason no matter what happens with the Seahawks this weekend. What needs to change? You made some short-term bets about wanting to compete right now. You are not the team that you wanted to be this year. They're essentially the same team they were last year when they were a surprise playoff team. They were not supposed to be a surprise playoff team. They were supposed to be a solidified playoff team this year, and that step has not happened. So why that gap exists, I think, is a worthwhile discussion about the Seahawks. And I think as much as their defense is driving it, there are some worthwhile questions about why they play the way they do offensively. Yeah, I think it's smart. Something that we could do a whole show on, I'm sure. Uh, well, listen, the, the spring, that's what the spring is for, my friend. A lot Love of it. time, a lot of space. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. Last bit of news I wanted to hit today. David Tepper fined $300,000 slap on the wrist for throwing a drink on a Jags fan during Sunday's shutout loss where the number one pick for whom Tepper gave up Darnell Wright, DJ Moore, Tyreek Stevenson, the number one pick in this year's draft, and a 2025 second round pick got outplayed by CJ Beathard. I understand why he was upset. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Me too. We, we hear a lot about the impact that bad ownership can have on the success of NFL teams. There's so many throwaway lines about, well, it's this, it's, it's the Chargers. It's the Browns. Well, it's, it's the McCaskies in Chicago. They're never going to win if these are the owners of the team. And I wanted to know from you, somebody who's had a front row seat to some of these organizations. You played for the Spanoses. You played for the Fords in Detroit while that organization was struggling. You played in Chicago as a player. Can you feel the impact that poor or unstable ownership has on a franchise day to day? I think that a smart player can feel the impact. If you are if you are looking at it from a different perspective than most guys that are three and a half years and done, like, hey, I'm just trying to make my money. Like, I don't really care what it looks or feels like. Like, I'm just trying to go in, make a name for myself, get out. Then it's harder to to realize. But I, but I do think that because I was in the league for 14 years, because I was with seven different teams, 
because I was on um, the NFL PA board and a part of three separate um, CBA collective bargaining agreement negotiations, plus an uncapped year. Like to me, you're going to ask me, I'm like, I can tell you everything that feels wrong with an owner. And um, a, a lot of it, I would say 98% of it has to do with nothing football, like nothing football related whatsoever. And that's always interesting. People are like, well, why? And I just take some, some different examples that I've been with. Um, owners that try to get too involved with the football side, like a David Tepper, who, by the way, got fined 0.000031% of his net worth which, okay, like, what is that going to do? And by the way, issued an apology. It wasn't an apology. I, he didn't, I didn't apologize. Know. He didn't apologize. He, it wasn't he an said, apology. I'm sorry for caring too much. My, my biggest weakness is that I care too much. David Tepper. Yeah. It's, it's just, that's absolutely ridiculous. Everything ridiculous. about it is fucking bullshit. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. Um, however, sometimes when those owners get too involved in the football part of it, that's where, as a player, you can sort of feel it, whether it be in the media or in the locker room or stuff like that. Like, like an owner's job is, yeah, you hire a GM and you hire a head coach and you have to have a very huge amount of trust in these two individuals to do their job. And you can have a little like, hey, here. but when they're trying to make football decisions, like, let's draft here, let's, because there have been owners that have done that. Of course there are. But I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, and another thing, like from a non-football side of it, like something is, and people are going to laugh uh, because it, it, but just like, just take into context about what I'm about to say when it comes to just pure football players. When you're in the locker room, you know guys are making millions of dollars. You're getting paid a lot of money to play a game. Um, and there's only 32 franchises in the world. Like something that comes down to is as simple as food. Like, like you eat for six, seven months of the year, you're eating three meals a day up there. And something is like, you're, you want to save an extra hundred grand here or an extra hundred grand here. And and hundred grand seems, it is a lot of money, but to an owner, that's a billions with an S dollar franchise. Like sometimes you got to spend to win and just like the healthy foods or the options. Like I've been a part of some franchises. I'm not going to name names because but like, I don't even want to eat. And when I eat, like I got a stomach ache and it's just like not fresh. Like, not Would you good say that's food. the exception or would you say that's the norm? And the ones that are Dude, exceptional like, and have good food are the ones that stand out. The ones that are exceptional and have good food stand out for sure. Okay. I'd say there's okay. more bad without a doubt. Because like, it's like, it's glossed over as like, hey, on a list of expenses, on a list of expenses, it's like, okay, check it off. This is our budget for food. We're not going to go over like I, I hate that, and and it sounds so bad. I think to some, but like a good breakfast or a good lunch or a healthy like you ask us to do a lot of physical work. Well, your body is your number one thing. So so everything to do with your body outside of football needs to be taken care of. The food, the hot tub, cold tub area. I've been on teams with no steam rooms or saunas. It sounds so simple, but. That makes a huge difference when you're trying to get ready to play a football game. I've had teams that have yet yet to spend on massage therapists or chiro- 
chiropractors or multiple PTs in the training room or have hired doctors that they know are just cheap that don't want. All of this stuff matters, and that's the main place you can feel it is the non-football activities. Obviously, the Chargers have been one of these teams for years that have been dinged for this stuff, whether it's the medical staff, the facilities. Things are changing a little bit there. That new facility in El Segundo and the practice facility is much better than what you guys were dealing with over the last couple of years. I've been to that one in Costa Mesa my, my fair share of times. There's there's a WeWork in the middle of it. Like it's There's an, a coffee shop where people just work. It's like an it's office, an office park. building. No, yeah, it, it's it an, is office an office building. Park. Yeah. I've been there plenty of times. It's an office building. So now they're getting a real facility in El Segundo. They're contributing to that. You know, Under Staley, they made some improvements and they spent some money on other areas. But was that a place where you could feel maybe the lack of expenditure, the lack of aggression from the owners maybe compared to some other places you played? I mean, you could definitely feel it. But I think it became just like – that's just how the Chargers are, where you just sort of was like, okay. Because every, everything else was nice. Like, they are so, like, the, the Spanos is, like, such, like, good, like, in my opinion, like, nice people. They were always, like, treat the players, like, to their faces. Like, like we flew first class, like, all this stuff. But I do think, like, when you're in an office building for six or seven years and you're trying to find where to build a facility, um, it, 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 it just wears, like, we didn't have a sauna or steam room there. And that's going to sound weird, but, like, that that's the norm and that's what the NFL PA is working toward and put in this new CBA. There needs to be a level of sustainability and of like you, this is the minimum level that you need to meet at all activities. And that's why um, I thought it was genius. Um, JC Treader, the NFL PA president put out a uh, 32 team NFL PA free agency report card. Yeah. And, I thought it was genius because, because like, let's be real. Like when you're talking about millions and millions of dollars, if a team pays you two or 3 million more to go to a bad on, you're going to go like, you're yes. going to go to a bad, like, you got to get your money. The, the money it's talks short- free agency almost every single time. Exactly. However, when you are though, dealing with middle class in the NFL, between one, between like 700,000 and like a million and a half, two million, I've known guys that have said no to $200,000, $250,000 more to go to a better team in terms like ownership. Like, oh, like it matters. So I think the NFLPA, that, that was, that was awesome. And quite honestly, what that did, not only with the players, but it, it, it allowed media to understand what the players are going through. And so then the media reports it and it's the NFL's worst nightmare. Yeah. Some, uh, some examples from that report card for the chargers specifically nutrition F training room F minus to two, two small little things there that to maybe take into consideration. So that's, those are some of the things we're talking about. I'm curious. You can choose between an owner that's not willing to spend as much as other owners are or an owner that's meddlesome in football operations, but will spend a little bit more money. Which of those two environments do you think is better for an NFL organization? Oh, man. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Um, so here's let's, – let's make this comparison. You have the Chargers, okay, who are looking for a new head coach this offseason. You have the Panthers who are looking for a new head coach this offseason. David Tepper shelled out how many millions for that coaching staff 
that they hired last offseason. The Chargers would never do that based on the way that we talk about the Chargers. So those are these are practical examples, I think, of this question that you're weighing. Um, I would have I would have I would rather have an owner that does not get into football operations at all. Because I, I just it's not their expertise. Their expertise is making money. And their expertise is setting a, a, a strategy of an organization and going out and you're having to spend on leaders of men and coaches and GMs and putting the best way around it. But then I would rather have an owner that trusts. I th- I, I've, I've heard of some bad places where like the, the, the I mean, you, you look at the, uh, the old uh, Washington owner. Yeah. Um, like, dude, he was and that's in the, the comparison room. that people are going to be making about Tepper here until he things turn around. Room. Like, like, like making like calls. I like, know. I think we need to make like that. Like, no, I think like, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. You can feel the difference when you're in some of these places. I've been to a lot of the facilities around the league. I've spent time in a lot of them. And looking at this report card right now, I'm not even trying to be mean to the Chargers. When you're in that Chargers locker room at that facility in Costa Mesa, and then you go to Minnesota and you see what that building is like, it's two different worlds. And we can argue about how much of an impact that has on winning and losing football games, but there clearly is a chasm. And there clearly is a wider spectrum of what these things feel like that I think a lot of general NFL fans understand. So my last question here, how sticky is this? Just because you've been a bad owner, just because you've been a bad franchise, is this something that you have to continue doing? And the example that I would lean to, you were in Detroit in 2020. Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes come in the next year and look at what this team feels like right now. The product on the field, the vibes in the locker room, what players are saying, just the day-to-day of how we look at and process the Detroit Lions in 2023 is such a vast departure from what it was in 2020. So is this stuff and how lasting and permanent it is overstated if you hire the right people? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It takes one or two people to change the whole culture of an organization. And and quite honestly, it doesn't always have to be the owner. And it's a perfect example of Dan Campbell with the Detroit Lions, like coming in and just like, hey, here's the vision. And it's it's a little bit of the owners, the forwards, just being fed up of losing. Like winning cures all, bro. Like it, it, it cures everything. You win, be like, Oh, maybe we'll throw a little bit more. That was that was a hell of a year. That was fun. Let's throw a little bit more money in freeze. Let's throw a little bit more money in the facility. Let's throw a little bit more money at massage therapists. Like who cares? Like, and then you get into this thing of like, okay, this is how it once was, and it sucked, and went. We lost, and we were the laughing stock. And now, I'm not saying the lions, just in general, like owners, like it was. Like, the lions were a punchline. There's no way around yeah. that. Like they were one of the then, most moribund franchises in football for decades. I think, we can tell I think it like were, it is. I think they were just. The Fords were just so fed up, and honestly, like a, a, a Dan Campbell, like they, they've given him everything that he's wanted, and and quite honestly, it, it's paid off. And and I think with them, you have to earn the trust. When I'm talking about Dan Campbell, you have to earn the trust of the owners by getting everyone to buy in. But then the way he's a leader of men, the leader of people, he galvanizes entire buildings, entire locker rooms. Like you can just see, I mean, it's 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 easy to see, right? It, it, even if you're not in the locker room, it's easy to see in the media. He's such a likable guy, and you do that, and you're in it for the right reasons. You can change some of these owners' minds, and you can get out of it just like the Lions have. The Bengals are another good example. Getting Joe Burrow and what the transformation that's happened there—they've thrown money around in ways they never did before. We'll see what their spending habits look like now that some of these guys are going to be getting more expensive. And Chicago, you know, just because it's close to me. 
them hiring Kevin Warren as the new CEO of the organization and sending Ted Phillips, who oversaw a lot of their business decisions over the last couple of decades, he's going to be moving on. So this sh- there's a shifting collection of responsibilities within that building where you're hoping, okay, now that we've kind of put these pla- these guys in place and this structure in place, can we have some different results than we've had over the last 10, 15 years when the previous set of leaders were there? So I, I think it is a little bit less permanent and a little bit less sticky with some of these situations when you get the right people in these decision-making spots. I agree. I agree. I think you can get out of it. You just have to trust. You just got to trust. You got to spend a little money. I'm not necessarily saying spending money is going to give you wins, but it's got to – if you give your players, you keep your players happy, you get the right culture in there, eventually it's going to turn around. I think the Bears and the Cardinals are two very good examples. The Bears a year ago were where the Lions were two years ago. The Cardinals right now remind me a lot of where the Lions were two years ago. And they brought in Jonathan Gannon. They bring in Matty Austin Ford to reset what that building feels like. And hopefully both of those teams can be turned around quicker than people could have anticipated. I mean, the Bears right now are seventh in way to DVOA this season. They remind me a lot of where the Lions were at this time last year, where they can't make the playoffs because of some things that went wrong earlier in the season. But in a lot of ways, they feel just as qualified as a lot of these playoff teams do. And I think the Cardinals, though how hard they're playing right now and how serious of an organization they feel like reminds me a lot of the 2021 Lions where they weren't winning a lot of football games because they were actively in the middle of a teardown, but their steps in the right direction, the way they feel when you watch them, the plan on offense and defense, how hard they play. And the Lions did it in two years. The Bears are on their way to potentially doing it in a couple of years, and we'll see what happens with the Cardinals. It feels like this stuff, it's not a fate that you're doomed to just because the history of your franchise looks a certain way. All right, guys, that is all we got. Last show of the regular season before we get started with the playoffs next week. We'll be back with our week 18 preview, regularly scheduled time later in the week. If you have not listened to Kiefer and the Beats, really good show this week, talking to Zach Jackson, our Browns writer, Jeff Zarebeck, Nick Kosmider about what's happening with Russell Wilson in Denver. So please go check that out. Prospects the Pros breaking down the playoff games from this weekend. Big game from Michael Penix, JJ McCarthy chatter, a lot to dig into with Dana and Nate. So please go listen to that for now. That's all we got on this show. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.